Welcome to today's sermon on our 40th anniversary here in Chapel. Our sermon title is Partnership, Preciousness, and Purpose in the Faith. And our first section is called Partnership, Sharing in Grace Despite Race. It's our 40th anniversary. Here in Chapel has been officially organized and a part of the Missionary Church since uh, April 20th, 1980, that later became Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada. Break out the black balloons for our 40th. Ha! Ah, actually, 40 isn't that old for a congregation. We're barely getting off the ground. Although apparently we're old enough already to have had a daughter church born, which is Heartland in Clinton. It began as a partnership, a shared vision to establish a ministry base in the village of Auburn a vision that was caught by a few individuals and brought together people from many backgrounds and places through the years to share in mission and ministry together. Here are a few lines from our forthcoming updated history, which Pastor Phil worked hard on while he was serving us as interim. Who could have imagined that a little village in southwestern Ontario would be the birthplace of a vibrant band of followers of Jesus? In the village of Auburn, God had put it on the heart of Dave Rolston, a member of the Christian Men's Association, to purchase the Little Red Church, once the home of Presbyterian Church in Auburn. Dave Rolston and a number of other businessmen and pastors were responding to the promptings of the Spirit of God. They had a particular concern for the youth in this village that had a reputation for being a rough place. So a group of individuals heeded that prompting and partnered together raising $500 to buy the Red Church building. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi rings with the note of partnership. It is essentially a missionary's thank you letter to the folks back home supporting their mission. Philippians 4.18 says, I have received full payment and even more. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. The Philippians had been the first people in Greece to hear Paul preach after he received the vision of a man from Macedonia, inviting him to come over and help, Acts 16.9. When they found out Paul had been brought into custody in Rome to await trial before the emperor, they took a collection and sent it to help him with expenses while he lived under house arrest. Philippi as a city was rather unique. It was a prosperous Roman colony, meaning its citizens were also citizens of Rome. They prided themselves on being Romans, dressed like Romans, and often spoke Latin. Many in Philippi were retired soldiers who'd been given land in the area. Apparently there were not enough Jews, ten male leaders of households, to establish a synagogue. In fact, Paul doesn't use a single Old Testament quotation in this whole letter, most unusual for him. All this to say, the people of Philippi were very different from Paul, who was born a Jew. There was a racial divide. Yet he was strongly bonded to them as they shared in his mission, sending funds to help support him. Even though he was now in Rome, the capital of the empire, rather than in Philippi, they shared his vision to evangelize elsewhere. Like those of Huron Christian Men's Association, looking to reach out to Auburn. Philippians 1.5 says, Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Partnership translates the Greek word koinonia, which can mean 
fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation in our SV because of your sharing in the gospel. My wife said to me this week, teamwork makes the dream work. She was leading a handful from IODE in the town who planted 10,000 flowers in Canadian flag shape at the Five Points Lights in Goderich Friday morning. Paul valued the help of these people who were nevertheless racially unlike him. Philippians 1.7b says, For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Later in 4.14, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Koinonia, partnering together in common cause. There's been a lot of racial tension this past week following the death of George Floyd beneath the knee of a white police officer. Protests are warranted, but not looting. Yep, that's a sign of the anger and pain of people who feel oppressed and not heard. For once, they are demanding attention. The early church was a very diverse bunch. The church can and ought to be an example of people from all kinds of different backgrounds and races partnering together. Consider the early church at Antioch in Acts 13.1. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. A variety of backgrounds and places. Niger means black, at least in complexion, if not actually racially. In Revelation 7, 9a, John has the vision. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. A diverse group, yet joined in a common faith, trusting the Lamb. The classic verse for Christians about race is Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. When we die to self in Christ by faith, our old superficial distinctives that we use to ward off others are stripped away. Paul describes to the church in Ephesus how becoming a Christian ought to break down the racial divide through the blood of Jesus who died for all kinds of people. Ephesians 2, 14-18 Quite an important passage. Bear with me. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. If God no longer walls off either us or them, who are we to erect barriers on a human level? Next section, preciousness, Jesus' own affection. It's not like Paul just tolerated these Philippians who were so different from him. We get a real sense of closeness as we eavesdrop on this long-distance correspondence. Verse 7a, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. 
since I have you in my heart. And verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. Is there someone you're so close to that you thank God every time you think of them? And verse 7a, uh, where we see that he uh, has them in his heart. Aw, how touching. What a loving, caring way to describe their relationship. Actually, the text is a bit ambiguous. It can also be read, NRSV puts it, because you hold me in your heart. Either way, they were close. And note especially verse 8. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Can you tell Paul and this church were very close emotionally? The affection of Christ Jesus. One of the hard parts about stay-at-home missionary emergency orders under COVID is missing the hugs and handshakes that we used to get at church. This past week, we visited someone in their home and were about to give the customary physical greetings when we thought better of it. <laughs> so many ways we let our brothers and sisters in Christ know we love them, care about them, are concerned about them. If touch is unavailable, at least we can still phone and connect online to some degree. What stories do we have from Scripture to illustrate the affection of Jesus that Paul talks about here? Probably one of the best loved images comes from the time people brought their children to be blessed by Jesus and the disciples interfered, shooing them away. But Mark tells us in Mark 10, 14 to 16, When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. What a tender image. You can pick up some of this affectionate nature of Jesus from his stories. Take the shepherd going after the one lost sheep and bringing it home on his shoulders. Or how does the father receive the wayward son who finally returns after squandering the family fortune on immoral living? Luke 15, 20b. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Insomuch as the father in the parable is a stand-in for our heavenly father, receiving back repentant sinners, we begin to sense how much God would embrace those who've wandered away from him. Reading through the forthcoming history and hearing people reminisce, one starts to get a sense how big an impact Pastor Jim Carn had on this congregation. There is a real warmth about him and his ministry. His heart extended on mission to other countries, including Haiti. It said, Pastor Jim came from the Free Methodists and brought a strong, caring ministry and a passion for missions that still has an impact today. He was known to roll up his sleeves and give a neighbor a hand. He was heading home after church and saw a neighbor roofing. Instead of chiding the neighbor, he took off his suit coat and joined him on the roof. Can we today be known for such caring, the affection of Jesus that draws others who want to be part of a group like that? Next section. Purpose, flawless, fruitful, furthering the gospel. 
out of this partnership and preciousness flowing back and forth between Paul and the church at Philippi comes a purpose, a drive to go further in the faith, form genuine Christian character, and broaden the scope of outreach so Jesus may keep on becoming known further afield. Note the two that's in verses 9 and 10. It says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Out of love, that deep affection from Christ, there is issue. We don't just wallow in warm sentimentality. What's the goal? The purpose? Love overflows, abounds more and more, pours forth as if between two riverbanks, knowledge and depth of insight. We read God's word daily in our quiet times. We study it together in life groups. We hear it preached and expounded on Sunday mornings. Beyond that, maybe you found some good podcasts that take you further in understanding God's view and plan. That provides structure and direction for our passion, our fervency. Verse 10, so that, that's another purpose cause, you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. It's not enough to just know the truth, the discerning. It needs to be applied in how we live, our character formation, the choices we make, the walls and hedges we put up to guard our purity, so Satan doesn't succeed in sullying our reputation and dragging us into destructive or abusive, exploitive habits. Note the emphasis on being, character, integrity, flawlessness. Have I done or said anything this past week that might cause the Lord to be embarrassed about me? Or am I more like Job, who was so righteous God could boast about him to the enemy? Job 1.8 And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Make God proud, not embarrassed, by your conduct. Verse 11 in Philippians goes on, more purpose here, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Our chief end, according to the Westminster Confession, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Fruit of righteousness here can have the sense the fruit righteousness produces. It's not static. It issues in righteous actions. There's a doing that flows out of our being. James 3, 17 and 18. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. It's just springtime outside, sowing crops in the field and garden, but What harvest of righteousness are you seeing sprout up in your own life? Here in Chapel's history is a fruitful harvest budding forth from the faith and prayers and committed actions of those who initiated this work even more than 40 years ago. It is recalled, some of the old timers, folk who were young back in the early 60s and are still around here in Chapel, will tell of the seeds of renewal that were being planted. 
a congregation in Goddard had arranged for gospel meetings in a gospel tent back in 1960, in which they were moved from being church-going, but not really alive in Jesus, to experiencing the new birth through a personal trust in Jesus. The same Jesus, who had promised that he would build this unstoppable movement, also promised that he could and would give new and abundant life to everyone who would trust and follow him. Jesus described it like this, John 7, 37 and 38. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. This is the testimony of the many who have been part of the continually refreshed stream of new followers of Jesus who have joined the Huron Chapel family. The Huron Chapel story is a story of men and women faithful to Jesus who are true to Jesus' mission. Years before the birth of Huron Chapel, for example, one good and godly man in his car with a rumble seat would drive up and down the gravel roads packing his car full of children from the surrounding farms so that they could take part in the local Sunday school and service. There are remembrances of much prayer ascending to the Lord on behalf of the village. The launch of Sunday evening meetings extended those prayerful, faithful endeavors of those who had gone before. His mission is our mission, or so our mission statement says. His mission is that we make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey all he commanded. This is the great purpose in which Paul's whole life was swept up. Repeatedly in this first chapter, we hear of his unstoppable joy. Verse 4, I always pray with joy. Verse 18, because of this I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. Why? Because of the first half of 18, the clue to the purpose that's driving Paul ever onward. Philippians 1.18 says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. He just wants to get the word out. It's truly good news that ought to be broadcast far and wide. It's remarkable that Paul can be joyful considering his circumstances. We deduce this letter as being written while he's under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial before the emperor accused by enemies who want to kill him. This man is a prisoner in custody, likely chained to a Roman soldier 24-7. And he's joyful? Not only does he have Jewish enemies seeking to kill him, there are Judaizing Christians, legalists, that are preaching circumcision and dietary laws as necessary, and who have bad motives. Verse 17 The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Not a small thing. He's awaiting trial. He's cooped up. His life is threatened. He's being verbally attacked and slandered. Yet, somehow, Paul doesn't take it personally. John MacArthur comments, Paul's joy was not tied to his circumstances or his critics. Mark that little phrase at the start of verse 18. But what does it matter? In Greek, two tiny words. Some versions, what then? Or we might say, so what? It's not important to Paul that he's locked up. 
is not important to him that others and these profess to be believers are trying to stir up trouble for him, increase his suffering. Does he get bitter? Is he resentful? What enables Paul to minimize such huge factors? Why doesn't he get in a snip and go off in a huff? Because compared to the main thing, these other issues are not important. Verse 18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. That's his purpose. That's what helps him to be tolerant, have thick skin, not get bent out of shape by the way others are treating him. This mega purpose gives him perspective. His self-esteem and significance is found in relation to Christ and his particular calling, not how others treat or mistreat him. Not everything in Huron Chapel's history is glorious. There has been conflict and hurt and testiness, I'm sad to say. But Paul's uber vision of what Jesus was accomplishing through his servants helped him rise above the pettiness of others. Back to the phrase in verse 7, that partnering in Christ, all of you share in God's grace with me. Can we become so conscious of Christ's grace, the mercy that's been shown to us, the urgency of letting other people know they can offload their guilt and shame and discover hope and new life and meaning and an eternal home? Can we once again become so swept up and preoccupied with that that we can truly be people of grace and love and forgiveness, that we can hold each other in our heart, imperfect, as we are. Let us pray. Sovereign God, we bless you for 40 years for here in chapel as part of the missionary church. Thank you for the uh, work that preceded that even before 1980 and the vision people had to uh, bring your good news uh, to our area or equip us again with this joy and this love and this grace that Paul experienced so that uh, we can overcome uh, barriers of race and uh, other distinctions and just uh, love our neighbor and bring them uh, into a saving knowledge of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.